was again amazed and, and stood in awe of the beauty, the power, and the almost instantaneous love and oneness of the church, the family of God, the body of Christ. I, I mean, 18 people from Nevada, Ohio, Missouri, Kentucky, and Virginia uh, became a team within moments of meeting each other in the airport in Fort Lauderdale. And just as quickly, these 18 people became part of the family of the church in Aragoina in Brazil. It was like we had known each other and loved each other for years, and not hours. Understand, there is nothing like the church. It was really a great mission trip. Lots and lots of meat. If you like good meat and beans and rice and fresh pineapple, it's the place to go. But it was a different kind of mission trip in some ways. You see, most mission trips that I've been on usually revolve around some major project that you're doing, building a home, painting a building, clearing a field, putting up fences. You know, where you and your team, you go out and you do this project during the day, then you and your team go back to base camp until the next day when you start all over again. But Brazil was different. There wasn't any major project that we completed. Now, we did take a part take part and play significant roles in six different services at the church. And we played a, a major role in the vacation Bible school that, that reached out into the community, about 150 kids, uh, most of which do, do not go to the church. And then each night in groups of two, we would go back and spend the evening to the next day with our host families. And listen, when you eat with people and, and when you share a bathroom with a family of five, you get to know each other uh, pretty well. But primarily, Brazil was about relationships within the body of Christ. And to be honest, in the beginning, I, I kind of I struggled with that. In fact, here's what I wrote in my journal one week ago as I sat on the front porch of my host home's uh, porch. Hey, Lord, it's me. I'm here in Brazil, Sunday, 6.30 a.m., to meet with you. Last day before the travel home begins. And I'm not sure what you're wanting to teach me on this trip. And then there was this long pause in my mind and in my writing as I reflected. And then my eyes were open and I was like, okay, Lord, maybe what you're wanting to teach me is the value of relationships. I mean, after all, relationships are the church and loving one another is what really matters most. Yes, I think I'm getting it, finally getting it, Lord, that how we treat each other as Jesus followers, is more important than building a home or painting a school. Buildings will eventually fall apart and walls will need to be repainted, but relationships in your family are precious, enduring, and eternal. Father, I'm ready to go home and, and I'm ready for you to move at Maple Grove. Lord, be with Tim Cole back at Maple Grove as he shares an important message about forgiveness and be with me as I share very soon with my Brazilian church family about the importance of one anothering, one another. Yeah, yeah, it was on my very last day that I finally got it. I finally got what God was trying to teach me. And the bottom line, the mission trip to Brazil served to reinforce everything that we've been talking about this summer. Brothers and sisters, relationships, oneness among this Jesus gathering is where it's at. And it's vital to our mission. And yeah, we did build some awesome relationships among our new family. I want to introduce you to two new friends. First friend right here, this is Marcos, and he's a 
phenomenal guy. He's interpreting for Laurie right there. And, and uh, um, he's studying to be a doctor. Matter of fact, he got the stitch up one of our guys who fell in the pool and, and uh, he took care of that for us. And, uh, uh, and he's going to be going on mercy ships in January for three months. And he's just a fantastic guy, you know, huge heart. And it, it was at a, when a Christ and youth team was in Brazil many years ago, that's what brought him to the church, and that's what brought him to Christ. And, and that relationship endures forever. Here's another new friend, Joe Sweaty, you know, and massive heart. You know, uh, we had a guy in our group that had really never played guitar in front of people. And so when we did our music, Joe Sweaty became Joe. And he, he played with us as we sang and did things in front of the church. And he is a phenomenal guy. And, and our last uh, service there, he, you know, he came forward and he, he joined the church in there. So um, it, it's about relationships. And, and uh, I don't know if you measure, can measure it this way, but I have had more Facebook requests from this team in Brazil than any mission trip I've ever been on. Now, now I, I do need to share a very funny story with you that will make you all very proud that I'm your pastor. Yeah, I got to do it. I got to do it. Uh, we were on our first of five flights back home. Um, and and uh, I just sat down. And uh, the flight attendant had just given me a Coke to drink. My laptop tray was down, and I was reading a book. And I didn't drink much of my Coke before I spilled everything on me, right? I got up, and my khaki shorts were stained. I mean, I'm talking about a basketball-sized stain on the front and on the back, right? <laughs> I proceeded to head to the bathroom past 15 rows, right, of staring eyes. And I get into the bathroom, and and, um, you know, I'm trying to absorb it with toilet paper, and I'm trying to wring my shorts out in the sink. And then I had a, what seemed like a brilliant idea at the time. Hey, why don't you shove a bunch of toilet paper in your shorts? Then when you sit down in your seat, it will speed up the drying process, right? So, <laughs> I'm about halfway back to my seat. I look down. And on my left leg, I'm dragging six feet of toilet paper, right? I stopped in the middle of the aisle, and I start pulling it out. And it kept coming, and it kept coming. I mean, it went on probably for like two minutes. The students are cracking up. I finally get back to my seat. Laurie only knows I spilled my drink, and it took me two minutes to get it out to tell her what I just did. All right? If you're ever on a plane, and you spill a drink... And you think it's a good idea to shove toilet paper in your shorts? Don't do it, all right? <laughs> don't do it. Uh, only me, right? <laughs> Hilarious. And I said, I'm going to use this on Sunday. I'm going to get a laugh out of this if I'm going to get stared at. And, um, again, a great trip. And it totally reinforced in a major way the measurable value of relationships in his church and the importance of what we're talking about in this message series of Summer of One. I understand in Matthew 16, Jesus made a, a very bold prediction. He said, on this rock, on this truth about who I am, the Christ, the Messiah, on me, on who I am, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And remember that word church is the word ecclesia. It means called out ones. It has nothing to do with the building, nothing to do with geography, and everything to do with the people. Jesus predicted a people, not a place. He did not predict a place. He predicted a people. 
He said, I'm going to build my people. He says, there's going to be this Jesus gathering, an ecclesia, and nothing's going to be able to stop it. My death won't stop it. Your guy's death won't stop it. Even the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. This Jesus gathering will grow and will flourish and will press into every corner of the world. And hey, here we are 2,000 years later, right? A fulfillment of that bold prediction. He made a bold prediction and he prayed a very desperate prayer on the night of his arrest for himself, for his guys, and then for every one of us sitting in this room today in Charlottesville, Virginia. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me. I think that's talking about the Holy Spirit. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. I've given them the Holy Spirit so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See what Jesus prayed for us in this room, right? He prayed that we would be one. He prayed that we would be brought to complete unity. Question, why mere moments before his arrest and hours before his death and crucifixion would Jesus pray only for that? I mean, he didn't pray that we would build great buildings, have great worship, preach great sermons, do great things. He simply desperately prayed for one thing, that we would be one. Why? Because Jesus knows that the entire deal that the spread of the gospel and the redemption of lost people depends on us, his followers, being one, being in complete unity. Get it? Good. And listen, since the entire deal hinges on this, when you look in the New Testament, you see that the primary activity of the early church was one anothering one another was focusing on behaviors and actions and attitudes and lifestyles that would demonstrate to a watching world the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, obviously those words that Jesus spoke in the upper room penetrated deep into the heart of his guys. A new commandment I give to you. New because you now have an example. New because you have a new power to make it possible. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. If you're taking notes, circle just as and circle by this. Question, so how how do we flesh out in our everyday lives, this commandment of Jesus to love one another just as Jesus loves us. I mean, how do we create a a Jesus gathering where we are one just as the Father and the Son are one? Answer, by obeying, embracing, by living out the commands that we're unpacking in the summer of one. Listen, when we do this, when you do this, and not only will we create a appealing and compelling Jesus gathering, but our own individual lives will begin to look more and more like the life that Jesus lived 
when he wore flesh and walked this planet. Get it? Good. Two weeks ago, Josh Smith was here, and he talked about how we're to follow in the footsteps of Jesus by serving one another, by being like Jesus and placing our focus in this Jesus gathering, not on ourselves, but on serving others. Question, is that your primary focus? When you come to church, when you walk through the doors, when you come to this Jesus gathering, is it, is it on others and how, how you can serve them? Question, who and how are you serving one another in this Jesus gathering? Who and how are you serving one another in this Jesus gathering? And last week, Tim Cole talked about an extremely important and very needed one another. You see, if we're ever going to be the kind of Jesus gathering that overcomes the gates of hell, we must be a people who forgive one another. Paul put it like this, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances, whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Repeat after me these phrases. Bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances. And forgive whatever grievances. You may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Question, are, are you, are we obeying this command? Question, there's someone that you need to forgive and you just won't let it go? If you're a Jesus follower, you do not have permission to hold on to bitterness. It is a sin. It is a sin. Repent and forgive. Or maybe you need to ask someone for forgiveness. And Tim talked about that last week, right? Let's repeat those five phrases he taught you last week when you ask for forgiveness. Repeat after me. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I will not do that again. Will you please forgive me? What can I do to make it right? Question, do you think that, that if every one of us in this room, do you think that if everyone who's a part of this Jesus gathering called Maple Grove do you think that if we actually had the attitude of Jesus and we, and we serve one another and we forgave one another, do you think that it would help to create a community that the people in, the lost, that the people in this lost world would like to be a part of? Man, I do. I mean, I mean, do you know why the early church exploded with growth and was such an effective witness for Jesus? Because when it came to loving God and, and loving one another, they had it down. I mean, even the Roman emperor, Hadrian, who was a pagan emperor who did not like Jesus, did not like the church, said of the church, look at how they love one another. See how they love one another. They never fail to help the widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to those who have nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home. Like my Brazilian family, (laughs) as though he were a brother. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of something like that? 
Who doesn't want to be part of a Jesus gathering like that? That's why Christianity blew up and took over the world in just 300 years. Because of how they love one another. Because they were one. Because they served one another and forgave one another. Bottom line, it's our oneness, it's our unity that is our most effective evangelistic strategy. Matter of fact, without that, (laughs) the rest doesn't matter. So I say it's time for us to get, and it's time for you to get very serious about one anothering, one another. So the question is, who are you, one anothering? And this is not a, this is not a wood grill buffet where we get to choose which one another and we want to do, right? Every one of the one another's in scriptures need to be on our plates. And remember, it doesn't happen in rows. As you sit in here, it happens in circles as you do life together. And this morning, we're going to unpack another, another one another that will help us love like Jesus, become one, and show this world that we are his disciples, and that's by carrying one another's burdens. Our text, Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brothers and sisters, someone is caught in a sin. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father God, we humbly come into your presence. We thank you for your mercy because we need it every morning. We thank you for your grace because it is free and available. And God, we thank you that you're patient with us. But God, I I pray, Lord, that we realize that one day we'll stand before you and, and God, that you have commanded us to love one another. And God, I pray that you speak to each of us this morning, God, that we open up our hearts and minds. And even as I share these words, God, may I hear your voice. And may we be a always repentant and responsive people to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The way I want to attack this text is by unpacking the command, the Cautions and the consequences of carrying one another's burdens. First, the command, Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. On three, we'll say that together. One, two, three. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the word translated burden means a heavy, crushing weight. I mean, it's something that's too big for a person to carry alone, at least not for very long. I mean, here's kind of a a picture of what that would look like, right? That's Yeah, he's got it now, but that looks pretty heavy. And the word that's translated carry means to to pick something up and to to carry it away. And and it's the verbs in the tense that mean it's not just a one-time deal, but that But carrying one another's burdens is to be ongoing. It's to be part of our DNA as a Jesus gathering. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. M. Scott Beck begins his classic book, The Road Less Traveled, with a three-word sentence that is packed with simple yet profound truth. It reads, life is difficult. And he's so right. Life is difficult. Life is filled with burdens that must be carried. Jesus said, 
in this world that we would have trouble. And his half-brother James says that all of us will face trials and hardships of many different kinds. And Peter said in 1 Peter 5 that when you find yourself in a painful trial and you're suffering, don't be surprised. And listen, when you open up your Bible, you find that God's people from Genesis to Revelation spend a whole lot of time carrying the burdens that life had heaped on their shoulders. Now, our burdens may be very different in kind and intensity, but all of us have burdens that occur as we journey through this life. Question, has anyone here ever had a heavy, almost crushing burden that they had to carry? Understand, you're in a room full of people that know what it's like to have a burden. Understand, there is and has been heartache in every person's life. We all have problems and cares that weigh us down. Now, now what are some of the burdens that we may need help carrying? There's a burden of sorrow and grief. There's a burden of sickness and aging. There's a burden of emotional difficulties and emotional scars from the past. There's the burden of a, of a difficult marriage or the burden of a, the loss of a loved one. There's a burden of, of uh, unemployment or financial strain. There's a burden of having a rebellious child. There's a burden of, of broken dreams and broken homes and broken hearts. There's a burden of doubt and fear, the, the burden of loneliness. And these are just a few of the burdens that, that people need help carrying. And, and, and listen, once we have a heart that's willing to carry the burdens of other people, two very important things need to happen in order for the burdens to actually be carried. Number one, we have to know that a brother or sister has a burden, right? Got to know it. Now, I didn't see a ton of hands go up, but I guarantee you <laughs> that within a few feet of you are one or two people that are carrying a pretty heavy burden right now. Second, the person who has the burden has to be willing to let somebody help them. And listen, both of these things require that we have active involvement in each other's lives. Understand, if we are not open and honest about our struggles, nobody's going to know, right? They're not going to know we have them. They're not going to know what a burden is. And if we're not observant enough and interested enough, then we won't notice when somebody is struggling under heavy load. Bottom line, if we are not spending time with each other, then we will not have the opportunity to be close enough to each other to know what the burden is. Get it? Good. Yes, carrying one another's burdens requires that we take the time and make the effort to develop deeper relationships. I mean, how tragic, right? I mean, this is his body. And how tragic to think how many Sundays somebody has walked in this room carrying a massive burden and nobody knew and they walked out the following week their knees buckling just a little bit more. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, there's a scene in the movie, The Lord of the Rings, that paints a powerful picture of carrying someone's burdens. 
Frodo Baggins, along with a group of friends, the Fellowship of the Ring, are in a quest to destroy this ring of power. If this ring gets in the wrong hands, it, it will bring in an age of evil that will sweep throughout the land. And destroy the ring, Frodo has to take it into the heart of darkness and, and throw it into the fires of Mount Doom where the ring was born. And, and Frodo is the only one who can carry the ring. In fact, anybody else who tried to carry the ring, hold the ring, was always overcome by its power and evil. And the journey, it's been long, it's been difficult. In fact, many of the fellowship did not even make it. As they near the end of their journey, it's really just Frodo and his Sam, his friend Sam. And they're at their emotional and physical limit. As they, and as they climb the mountain towards the cave, the entrance that would lead them to where Frodo has to drop the ring, Frodo couldn't walk. In fact, he couldn't even stand. And as much as Sam tried to encourage him, his words were ineffective because he was, Frodo was just too exhausted. And since no one could carry the ring but Frodo, there was only one thing to do. So Sam said, I may not be able to carry the ring, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. And he put the exhausted Frodo over his shoulders and carried him the rest of the way to their journey's end. And brothers and sisters, that is how the family of God, the fellowship, not of the ring, but the fellowship of the king is supposed to work. Get it? Good. No, no, no we, we can't always take away the burdens, but we can help carry them for another person. We, we can lift them up. And we can make sure that nobody is crushed underneath a heavy load all by themselves. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, before we move on to the cautions in carrying one another's burdens, there's another burden that Paul talks about in her text that we're also commanded to help one another carry. It's in Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, Paul doesn't tell us how this person gets there, how this person gets to this place where not only are they sinning, but somehow sin has overtaken them. Sin has caught them. You see, that, that word caught is in the passive voice, and it means that the action is being done to the person. The implication is that the sin has done the chasing and now this person is overrun and trapped underneath the weight of sin and they can't get out. Brothers and sisters, someone is caught in a sin. You who live by the Spirit should restore. And that word restore was a term used for the mending or repairing of a net. You should restore that person how? Gently. Gently looks like John 8. Women caught in adultery, Pharisees, not so gentle. Jesus puts his hand on her shoulder, go and sin no more gently. Understand, brothers and sisters, church, Maple Grove, Jesus gathering, and not only are, are we commanded to help one another carry the burdens of difficult, trying, and crushing times, but also the burdens of difficult, trying, and crushing sins. I, I love what John Piper says here. You need to listen. If it seems easy for you to help a person bear the burden of sickness or unemployment or loss of a loved one or loneliness or rejection, put too hard for you to bear the burden of confronting a person because of sin, meditate on this thought. A sinful attitude 
or a sinful habit is much more harmful to a person than any of those other burdens. Therefore, this is in your notes, if we really care about a person's ultimate welfare, we will confront them with their sin as well as comfort them in their trouble. Amen. I mean, wouldn't it be great to be part of a family like that? A family who love each other so much that they refuse to turn away while a brother or sister is being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I say, I'm not going to let sin have them. I'm not going to confront them, even though it may not be liked at the time. I say, let's be that kind of family. Let's not watch people destroyed by things. Let's help them carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Now there are some cautions in carrying one another's burdens. The first is don't fall into sin yourself. Brothers and sisters, someone is caught into sin. You who live by the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, should restore that, should restore that person gently, but watch out, or you also may be tempted. I understand if the person is caught into sin and it's an area where you struggle or often tempt it, you need to be very careful. In fact, you may want to get some help from another led by the Spirit Jesus follower. Next, caution, don't think wrongly about yourself. If anyone thinks there's, there's something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. And a guy named Gerald Sitzer writes this in a book I'm reading. The ministry, of burden, uh, the ministry of bearing burdens brings two groups of people together. Relatively healthy Christians who assume the dominant and supposedly superior role, and relatively needy people who assume the uh, subordinate and inferior role. One does the helping, the other needs to help. One is strong, the other is weak. The first group faces the temptation of pride. They tend to inflate their sense of self-importance when they compare themselves, as they inevitably will, with those who depend on their help. They find it easy to feel like stronger and better Christians. The second group faces the opposite temptation. They tend to diminish their importance in the church when they compare themselves with those who do all the giving and never seem to receive. Paul says each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. See, bottom line, carrying someone's burdens does not make you greater or a better Christian. It just makes you an obedient Christian. And needing help with burdens does not, does not mean that you're weaker or inferior. It just means that you're in a difficult spot. See, we're not defined by our burdens either way. The third caution is don't overload yourself. Listen, you cannot help everybody. Jesus didn't. When he healed the, the guy crippled from birth at the pool of Bethesda, a lot of sick people, he healed only one guy. Understand, brothers and sisters, and some of you need to hear this, it is simply impossible to carry the burdens of every person in need that you know. And it is also very unhealthy. It's simply impossible for you to carry the burdens of everybody that you know, and it's also very unhealthy. Get it? Good. Here's something I heard many years ago at a leadership convention. 
There's so many burdens out there, right? You go, I can't help anybody. I can't help everybody, so I won't help anybody. And this guy said, his philosophy was, do for one because I can't do for all, right? Now, I can't do for everybody, but I'm going to do for one because I can't do for all. And if we all had that attitude, guess what? A lot would get done, right? So do for one because you cannot do for all. Number two, under don't overload yourself, you cannot do everything for someone. Good Samaritan, right? He only did what he could. He didn't do everything. Didn't buy the house. Didn't get the eye job. Didn't buy him a house. See, balance is needed because you have limits. Gerald Sisser writes, all of us are responsible to shoulder burdens, but none of us are responsible to shoulder them all. And to do it alone, sometimes we are most obedient, and some of you so need to hear this, when you say no. When you say no, you just can't. Man, I'm overloaded. I'm overloaded. Bottom line, carrying one another's burdens takes the entire church working together, actively seeing, stopping, and helping one another. And sometimes it involves getting outside help, right, when someone's burden is just too heavy. And finally, the consequences of being a Jesus gathering that takes seriously Jesus' command to carry one another's burdens, the consequences. And consequences aren't always bad, right? <laughs> I was forcing a C word, and I found one. And I go, hey, there, no, there's, there's actually behaviors and actions that lead to good consequences, right? You floss your teeth. When you go to the dentist, you get a good report, right? You know, so there's good consequences. And here's a good consequence to obey this command. The forming of a one another Jesus community. I mean, come on. Go throw that picture up there. Who doesn't want to be part of the kind of fellowship that no one has to carry a heavy burden alone or to be crushed by a load that they cannot carry. I want that image to burn into your mind. You know, Let's be that kind of church. Let's be that. I may not be able to carry your burden, brother or sister, but you know what? I'm going to get underneath, and I'm going to carry you. I'm going to help you get there. I'm going to come alongside you and help you complete your journey. And some of you are doing this in a great way. And some of you need to peel back because you've got limits, and, and God's speaking to you about that. A second consequence of carrying each other's burdens is we actually help people to learn how to carry their own load. Paul writes, for each one should carry their own load. And this is, that word load there doesn't mean heavy burden. It's more like the backpack that a soldier would carry when he was marching. You see, the goal of bearing someone's burden is to enable our brother or sister to discover, pursue, and carry out their own particular purpose in life. However burdened they have been or will continue to be. You see, the burdens that weigh us down do not excuse us from doing our God-given duty. Thus, the goal is to get them back on their feet so that they can serve the church and serve the world at large. And what people find many times when it comes to carrying heavy burdens is that past struggles often lead people into corresponding ministries, Right? 
Uh, thus, couples who survived a, a very difficult time in their marriage are the best people to come alongside someone who's struggling in their marriage. Someone who's overcome an addiction like alcohol or drugs or something is sometimes the best person to come alongside someone who's struggling with that same thing. Someone who's overcome the abuse of the past are often very good at helping victims of abuse. And the third consequence is, I think is the best, is fulfilling the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? The what? The love God and the love people. The most important one to answer Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandments than these. Understand, whenever you help carry the burden of another person, you're not only loving them, you are loving God. Jesus said, right, whatever you did, for the least of these, my brethren, you've also done for me. I love this quote by Mother Teresa. At the end of life, we'll not be judged by how many diplomas we've received, how much money we have made, how many great things we've done, We'll be judged by, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was homeless and you took me in. Brothers and sisters, Jesus gathering, let's carry one another's burdens. And in this way, we will fulfill the law of Christ. And as we conclude and move into our communion and response time, I I just want to read... Two passages of Scripture. One written about the ultimate burden bearer and one spoken by the ultimate burden bearer. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Interestingly, Isaiah 53 starts off with a question Who will believe our message? And I hope you believe the message that Jesus was pierced for your sins. The message that in Jesus you can be whole and you can be healed. And finally, would you stand as I read this passage? Then Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Heavenly Father, as we stand in this room, Lord, as we bow our hearts and minds before you, you know us. And God, you know that many of us, we can put on a smile, and we can fake it, and we can pretend. 
And God, I, I just pray for the person in this room, God, who is about to buck underneath the weight of the burden they're carrying. And God, I pray for the brother or sister who actually knows that right now. That they will come beside them and come up underneath them and that they will carry them and help them. God, help us to become a church, Lord, that actively sees and cares enough to carry one another's burdens. And Jesus, we thank you that 2,000 years ago that there was a there was a burden that only you could carry. No one, none of us could carry it, Lord, because we're overcome by our sin. But you took and you carried that burden of the penalty of sin, and you defeated death, sin, and the grave for us. And I pray that as we hold in our hands symbols, emblems of that sacrifice of your broken body and shed blood, that we celebrate and we enjoy the fellowship we have with you because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.